You're listening to Teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. Good morning, church family. If you have your Bible with you this morning, go ahead and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 16 as we continue in our series on 1 Timothy today. If I haven't had the chance to meet you already, I go by Ant. I get the privilege of serving as pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. Very glad that you're tuning in with us, especially if you're a guest. We're very glad that you're tuning in with us this morning. And also, if you're a guest or if you're a member, we'd love to you to drop a comment in the comment section below for our church family. Let's greet each other uh, in the Lord, as this is the opportunity that opportunity that we have to be able to greet each other more than any other time during the week. So I always want to encourage our church family to take advantage of that opportunity that we have. Well, we have a lot to work through today in this uh, passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 16. There's a couple themes that I'll be sure to, to pull out, but just, just so you know, we're going to be jumping around in the text a little bit. Uh, so to kind of get us a feel for what the text is like read straight through, I'll just read from, verses, from verse 1 through verse 16, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into breaking it down a little bit. So I'll begin here reading in verse 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Do not rebuke an older man. But encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even when she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, and having a reputation of good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refused to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, And not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Will you pray with me? Father, As we work through this passage this morning, please give us clarity. Please give us insight. Please give us wisdom, Uh, Father. But even more than those things, would you transform us as we spend time in your word together this morning? Would you make us more and more like you? Would you encourage our hearts? Would you give us hope and peace and faith in you? Would you use this time to grow us and help us to know you more? We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now, before we 
break down this passage in particular, there's a particular doctrine that I believe we need to make sure we're very settled on and rooted in. Otherwise, this passage doesn't make any, any sense at all to us. And that doctrine is what, what is referred to as the doctrine of adoption. I want you to look at John chapter 1, verse 12 with me, where it reads, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If we have placed faith in Christ, if you have placed faith in Christ and you are now in him, you are now a daughter of God. You are now a son of God. You are in the family of God. Jesus died on the cross, taking our place, taking our condemnation that we deserve onto himself, that we might take on his position as a child of God. He took our place and he is giving us his place in the family as a child of God as we are in him, in his atoning work on the cross. So because of that, he, the son of God, was treated like he was an enemy of God so that we who are actually enemies of God because we've rebelled against him and he is the king, we who were enemies of God are now able to become sons and daughters of God. This is the doctrine of adoption. We are invited. We are welcomed We are in the family of God. This is who we are. So no matter what your lineage or your heritage is, your primary familial identity now, if you are in Christ, is that you are a child of God. Jesus' death and resurrection doesn't just save us from our sin, but it also saves us to, amongst other things, saves us to and into the family of God which means other members of our church, other members of the body of Christ are not just acquaintances, are not just friends, are not just people that you know, but they are actually your brothers and your sisters in Christ. And one thing that we'll see in the passage is if we're going to function and live as we are designed to function and live as the people of God, as the family of God, as the household of God, we have to see each other as brothers and sisters. We must This passage makes no sense if you don't see it that way, especially in the context where this passage was written. We are no longer spiritual orphans, but now we have a family that we belong to, which means we have brothers and sisters that we know and that we love in the household of God. So how does the church function with so many brothers and sisters? This is, this is a large part of what this entire letter is about. How do we function? How do we live as the household of God, as the family of God? This particular part of the letter here at the beginning of chapter 5 in the book of 1 Timothy specifically talks about how do we esteem one another and take care of one another as those who are part of the family of God, of the household of faith. And eventually in this passage, he's going to refer to a specific group of people in the family of God, in the household of God that were in need at this time. And he's going to give us things that we can apply also in our day for how we can take care of those who are in need. So the first thing he instructs us on in this passage is as the family of God or in the family of God, we honor everyone. In the family of God, we honor everyone. Now, as I've done repeatedly in this series, I'm going to share the definition of of some words. But first, let me go ahead and read verse 1 and verse 2 in this chapter, and then I'll define one of the words in the chapter. Verse 1 reads, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, 
younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Now, when we were in teaching team, me and Delisha were talking about the beginning of this passage, and she said to me, and I don't I don't think Paul is using that word rebuke right there the way he uses it in other places and in ways it's used differently in the Bible because it doesn't seem right that he will say, hey, you can never correct or tell an older person that they're wrong. My initial thought was, I, I don't know what you mean. It's the same word rebuke right here that's, that's used in other places, so I don't understand how they could be different. And she said, well, let's look this word up. So I went to blueletterbible.com. This is where I generally go to look up words, and you can, it, it's very user-friendly. You can just search for the verse that you want to look at. You click on the chapter and the verse number, and then you click on the number that's assigned to that specific word, and it'll give you the, the Greek or Hebrew definition. And what I found was that Delisha was 100% correct, that this word that's translated rebuke here in the English Standard Version is translated harshly rebuke in the New American Standard Bible, that this is actually the only time this word here is used in the Bible. That this word means to strike upon, to beat upon, to chastise with words. This word doesn't simply mean to rebuke. It means to, to chastise someone, like as if to punish someone with your words. So this is speaking to the way that Timothy should reverence older men within the church. It's stated negatively. It's telling them you're not to dishonor older men by rebuking them in this harsh way or chastising them with your words. Timothy is a young pastor, and here he's being told how to interact with older men in the church who he is in family with. He is to, he's to treat them and honor them and respect them as if they were his earthly father. And then as, as he continues on in verse 1, he's told to treat younger men the way he would treat his brother. The same with older women and with younger women to treat them as, as if they were his mother or as if they were his sister because we're a family. Timothy, treat and respect them as if they are a part of your family because they are a part of your family. And I also want to make sure we note what's being said right there at the end of verse 2, where after telling him to, how to respond to older women and younger women, he says, in all purity. He instructs him to do this with all purity, which among, among other things, I think this is a quick encouragement to Timothy to view his sisters in a way that is pure. Brothers in the room, you sin against God and his church if you primarily see and treat sisters in our church family, in the body of Christ, as only potential romantic partners, or worse, just potential sexual partners for you. We sin against our sisters if the primary reason we are getting to know them and showing love to them is if we have some type of interest in them romantically. One of my greatest, one of my pains as a pastor is that I've heard before women, even women in our church that talked about the, in, in their past, the way that they have seen men be, be kind to them is generally when they want something from them. Here, the call for Timothy is to treat older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. This is vital for us. We want our sisters here to, to know that we care about them and we love them, that they bear the image of God. And, and even if there is, no, regardless of if there is any romantic interest at all, we care for our sisters. We want our sisters to be taken care of and to be honored in our presence. I want to move on. Let's go to verse 3. Here's where he begins to get to his main point of the passage, more specifically. 
Verse 3, honor widows who are truly widows. In this time, and even in Old Testament times as well, widows were, were often seen as having very little value in this culture. That was the case for women in general, but even more so for widows because they were no longer tied to a man. And, and their, their husbands were one who could advocate for them because oftentimes, even legally, women weren't able to even advocate for themselves. So widows are those who went from a place of having someone who could advocate for them to no longer having that. And throughout the Bible, we see very clearly that God cares for widows, that God consistently tells his people to care for widows. He calls his people to be near them, to defend the cause of the widows and the rights of orphans as well, because God tremendously cares for those who are being marginalized. And so here in this passage, the God who cares for the marginalized inspires the Apostle Paul to write here to Timothy and in a broader context, the Ephesian church, and encourage them to honor the widows. Those that are marginalized in in their church were to be honored in the church, or marginalized outside of the church, I should say, are to be honored inside the church. The Greek word there for that word honor means to revere. It means to ascribe some amount of value to And here in verse 3, he says, honor widows who are truly widows. Or another translation says, who are widows indeed. A willow indeed is one that is most fully suffering from the effect of being a widow. One who is truly suffering from a lack of advocacy or because maybe for some reason she's not able to provide for herself. Paul is saying, honor her. Paul goes more and more into the different situations that some widows find themselves in that are different from the other widows, and he instructs God's people on the best way to care for widows based on their situation. Paul knows that to care for everyone in the family is going to require everyone's help. And he breaks down what that needs to look like beginning in verse 4. But I, So our first point was that in the family of God, we honor everyone. Our second point is that in the family of God, we take care of everyone. In the family of God, we take care of everyone. That will require lots of responsibility and ownership by all of us, but this is who we are called to be. Now, you need to remember that principle because Paul is going to get very specific about what that should look like in this specific church in Ephesus, given a specific program that they had going for widows in the church. I don't want us to get lost in the weeds of it. Let's remember the principle God, that, that Paul is giving them a specific framework to work in that they might care for everyone, particularly the widows in this passage. Let's get into it. Verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, Let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. First off, he's saying if if the widow has children or grandchildren, they need to step up and make sure their mother or their grandmother is taken care of. Paul says, let them make some return to their parents. It seems clear that he's referring to the fact that their parents have taken care of them, have invested so much for them, have sacrificed so much to take care of them, that now they need to make a return, that now they need to make sure that their parents, that their grandparents, specifically widows, need to be taken care of. He tells them when they can, when possible, it's time for you now to take care of them if they can no longer take care of themselves. 
And Paul pushes this point even further in verse 8, where he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul is saying that if you are living as you are living as if God is not real, as if Jesus did not come and die for you and, and raise from the dead to rescue you from your sins, if you are not willing to take care of your family, especially those who are in your household that cannot take care of themselves. Paul is not playing here. He's saying it, it shows how godly we are when we take care of those in our household. It shows off our godliness, and thus it shows off how ungodly we are when we do not do that. We are not like, when we are not like him in that way. We have a younger church. We should be a church that understands that it shows our godliness when we do what we can to make sure our parents and our grandparents who can't take care of themselves, when we show that we love them by taking care of them. In a family, People shouldn't only bear the responsibility to care for their parents and grandparents that aren't able to provide for themselves. They're also called to care for other members of their family as well. And we see this is what Paul writes in verse 16. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. So we're saying if she has any relatives that are widows who might not even be her mother or her grandmother, we are to take care of those. This is what Paul is doing. He's giving them a structure and a framework to work in, a way to think about making sure everyone in the family of God is taken care of. And as we see in verse 16, the church will be overly burdened if the, if the church leadership had to come up with ways to take care of everyone that's in the church. So no, he's, he's putting responsibility back on the members of the church and say, hey, you need to bear some of this responsibility. You need to be making sure you're caring for those within the household of God who aren't able to care for themselves. Everyone has a role to play if we're going to make sure that everyone is cared for, particularly for our church. Our benevolence and our financial assistance uh, plans and programs that we have can't meet the needs of everyone in our, ch- in our church. We don't have that type of funding available to us. So sometimes the best way to help, even though we do want everyone who needs help to let us know, sometimes the best way to help is to find ways that you can help them as well if God has blessed you with more than you need. We all need to be ready and willing to do whatever we need to do to care for all who are in our family, because this is who we are. This is what we are called to do. In the church of Ephesus, there are some that the church should provide for and some that the church can't provide for because of limited resources, as is the case for our church and the vast majority of churches. So in verse 5, 9, and 10, Paul talks about those whom the church should enroll in what seems to be some type of program that they had to help care for widows. Now, the, Paul doesn't go into detail about what exactly was involved in this program. Uh, many theologians have, have believed that there was a program where widows could provide some type of service for the church and then receive some type of compensation, like a stipend from the church so that they are cared for. So they, they serve the church, and the church provides for them, provides for the widows. I want, I want us to look at the situation and the life particularly uh, that Paul says should be of, of the widows that should be enrolled in this program or in this initiative. Let's go back to verse 5, and then we'll jump around a little bit more as he describes those who should be enrolled in this program. Verse 5, she who is truly a widow, 
left all alone, has set her hope on God, and continues in supplication and prayers night and day. So this is a widow who is on her own to provide for herself, but yet she put her hope in God. Her hope is not primarily in her situation. Her hope is not primarily in what she can see as far as what she expects or thinks will happen in her life. Her hope is in God and continues to pray to him night and day. And then verse 9 says, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. So a woman who, a widow who is at least 60 years old and has only been married to one husband, verse 10, and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So this is to be one of the ones who are enrolled in this program, the ones who get enrolled into the specific program, again, where many have speculated they're serving the church in some way and the church is compensating in some way. It's to be one who has done good works, who is hospitable, who loves others, especially those who are afflicted in some way. She has shown the fruit of being a follower of Jesus and she is in need. She is a part of the family and you need to take care of her by enrolling her in this program. It doesn't mean others aren't taken care of in some way, but those are the ones that he's saying are fit for this specific program within the church. Now, this is contrasted with the description of widows in the church who aren't being enrolled that he gives us in verse 6, and then we'll hit 11 through 13 or 11 through 14 as well that I'll try to make sense of after we read it. It'll be a little bit confusing at first. I'll try to make sense of it after that. Verse 11, but refuse to enroll younger widows For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Verse 13, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So in this time, it would have been very easy for women to find comfort, security, advocacy, and many other things in being married. They weren't able to advocate for themselves. It was often harder for women to get educated and thus to be able to to make enough money to provide for themselves and and for their families. So this this all makes sense given the way that women were viewed and treated at that time. It seems to me that here Paul is saying that there were some younger widows who had desires that were leading them away from Christ. And so they ended up marrying men who weren't Christians. And generally speaking, in this time, in this culture, generally speaking, what would happen is a woman would often side with the religion of her husband and would embrace the religion of their husband. So they would then abandon the faith. And some apparently had become idle and gossips and busybodies. And apparently Paul has seen this in the church. And we see Paul referring to them in verse 6 as well when he says, but she, who is, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Paul's point here is that there are some widows who are showing by their lifestyle that this level of idolatry could be revealing that they all actually weren't following Jesus. And Paul doesn't want them to be enrolled in this church program. And some believe that that's because men in the church maybe didn't want to marry widows that were enrolled in the program, that were serving the church, that were being provided for in this way. And they didn't want to hinder that in any way. So many have speculated that maybe that these, the, the women that were enrolled in this, the younger women, maybe were quicker to marry men outside the church and thus take on the religion of their husband is what many speculate Paul is referring to at this point. 
and that maybe Christian men didn't want these widows to no longer be eligible for this program that was good for them and good for the church. And I think this might be why Paul says what he says in verses 14 and 15, where he writes, So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander, for some have already strayed after Satan. Because he doesn't want these younger widows to marry again outside the church, Paul's preference is for them to have some time to go ahead and maybe get married again to someone in the church if possible. Instead of being enrolled in the program, it seems, which, which would, it seems, decrease the potential of them marrying a follower of Jesus. And all of that is confusing and might sound weird to us, and we don't know everything about the program and what that enrollment process was like in that time. But here's what we do know. Paul's reason for giving all these instructions is this, and we see it in verse 15, and this is essential to us understanding and interpreting everything else that we just read in those verses. For some have already strayed after Satan. Paul's goal, as we've seen multiple times, we saw it in in chapter 1, we saw it a couple weeks ago in the sermon, we see it here. Paul is very concerned about not just women in this church, because he he brings up men earlier on whose faith have been shipwrecked and have shipwrecked the faith of some earlier on in this book. But Paul's concern for men, for women, for widows, for those who are married, is that many are falling away from the faith. Many are straying. Many are leaving the faith. He's seen this happen, and some of those who he's seen happen with are these younger widows. And so the way that he's telling Timothy and the church to care for them is a little bit different because he cares about them, and he doesn't want them straying away from the faith. He doesn't want their desires leading them away from Christ. Why? Because we are the family of God. We are a family, and in the family, we care for everyone. And that doesn't always look the same for everybody. That doesn't always look the way many many would expect it to look for everyone, but we care for everyone. Why? Because of the doctrine of adoption. We are a family with God. We are brothers and sisters with one another. Whether we understand everything about this enrollment program or not, what we do understand is that the goal is not to dishonor these widows in any way or dishonor women in any way, but rather that they might continue on in the hope and joy and faith that we have in Christ Jesus. So this is why we see Paul write what he writes in verse 7 to Timothy regarding the widows that weren't following the Lord. He says, command these things as well so that, so that they may be without reproach. That those who weren't following Christ, he's saying, hey, command them to follow him. Tell them they need to turn from their sin. They need to repent. This is how you care for them at this point. Young Timothy, who's a pastor in this difficult time, this difficult situation that they find themselves in. The reason he has all these rules about who gets enrolled and who doesn't and who needs to be commanded to live differently is because as a family, we do, everybody does everything that they need to do to make sure that everybody is cared for in the family of God. And we don't want to see anyone fall away. We don't want to see anyone have their needs not being met in our church or in the global body of Christ. And when we as a church live this out, live out this desire to make sure everyone is taken care of, we are beautifully walking in the footsteps of our Savior, who not only died and rose again to make us members of his family in the first place, but he also honors us and makes sure we are taken care of. I said earlier, in the the family of God, everyone is honored. 
And when we live this out, we are following in Christ's footsteps who honors us by being willing to die so that we can live eternally, who was being condemned so that we could be justified, who experienced suffering and pain so that we can, be, so that we can go to be with him forever and never experience pain and suffering ever again. He was treated like a criminal so that we could be treated like we are perfectly righteous. He took the lowest position hanging and dying on the cross so that we can be elevated to reign with him forever. He has honored us. We as the people of God are those those who have already been honored by our God. And so now we extend that same honor to everyone in the family of God, our brothers and our sisters. We must, we must remember that spiritually, we are just like the widows indeed. We spiritually were in a helpless situation. We needed someone to help us and help us and defend us spiritually because we were enslaved to sin in the kingdom of darkness. And he showed us how much he values us and how much he desires to take care of us as part of his family by giving his life to rescue us. And in doing so, he is the perfect example, the perfect model to follow of one who does whatever he needs to do to make sure that his family is taken care of, even bearing the wrath of God in our place and being con condemned for us so that we could come to know him. He sacrificed what he needed to sacrifice, and he made sure we were all going to be taken care of. So we just follow his example. We remember the way that he has honored us. We remember that he made us a family. We remember that he makes sure we are taken care of. So now we embrace the reality that we are family in Christ, and we honor all of our brothers and sisters as family, and we make sure that everyone in our family is taken care of. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for making us a family, for bringing us into your family, for saving us, for rescuing us, for adopting us, for making us your own. Father, help us to see each other as brothers and sisters, not just acquaintances, not just people we know, not just people that attend the same worship service as us, but actually members of the household of God, the family of God, brothers and sisters adopted by the sacrifice of your son. Help us to remember this. Help us to remember to honor one another because of this. And help us to remember to take care of one another because of this as well. And we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.